Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. And good morning there. It is 9, 10 a.m. Daylight Savings Time. It is March the 18th, 2019. This is episode 73 of Bitcoin and... Woo, I was gone for a week. I left you guys with uh, some older episodes. Sorry about that, but, you know, I had to go hang out with the kids. Went up to the Metroplex and saw, you know, I did did the stuff, man. Ate at a, you know, couple of decent restaurants with my sister. And uh, let's see, we went to the uh, Perot, uh, the Perot Museum. Uh, and if you haven't been to the to the Ross Perot Museum up in Dallas, man, it's freaking sight to behold. It is expensive. Uh, it's like I guess twenty bucks a head for adults and like twelve bucks for kids. And if they've got like a special exposition, like they did uh, when I was there, it's thirty bucks a head to get into the uh, to do everything. And man, boy, that's <laughs> although. That said, you can easily spend a full day there. And even if you find yourself walking out the door four hours later, you're still looking at your watch going, my God, we spent four hours there. I, from that standpoint, it's, it's definitely worth it. And they had a, had a Lego exhibit. This dude was making art or taking existing pieces of art and then re, um, sculpturing them in, in Legos and most of them life-size. Uh, and then he had like, you know, a couple of other parts of his exhibit that weren't using other people's art. He was doing his, doing his own. Uh, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely worth it. Uh, I've never seen that many Legos in one place. We're talking about like, I guess if you were to like pull all the, the, his stuff down and break it all into bricks, you'd probably be filling up like a couple of refrigerator boxes, maybe three or four refrigerator crates full of Legos. It was, it was something else, man. Dallas world aquarium is also a place is a must see also expensive. Also the ability to spend a full four hours. And it's really neat because they call it an aquarium. But by the time you even get to the fish, you've seen so many birds, monkeys, uh, what else? Uh, like a, the sloth. And I mean, it just, my God, it's like a zoo. And I, like I said, I, you know, they call it an aquarium, but you basically pass through like four levels of aviary and all manner of birds and plants. And I mean, it's, it's a sight to behold. It, it is a sight to behold. And then when you get down into the aquarium part, you're looking at like 800 pound crocodiles and huge stingrays, and I mean, it's, again, totally worth it, and it's also right by the West End in Dallas, which if a uh, bunch of shops, you know, it's sort of like one of those brick town 
things that, you know, they Dallas took their old warehouse uh, sector in the city that was dilapidated and figured out how to reconstitute that entire neighborhood. And they, they did a pretty good job. It's been around for a long time. So you walking distance from the aquarium, also walking distance from the Perot Museum. In fact, if you threw a rock hard enough, you'd probably be able to pelt the Perot Museum from the Dallas World Aquarium. So enough about that. Um, what happened while the hell I was gone? My God almighty, it's like everything just broke free. So where, where am I going to start here? Um, let's start. Let's start with something lighthearted. Okay, that glitch you just heard was, uh, I think, my video card freaking out on me. It just turned off one of my monitors, and I had to reboot. Thankfully, I was, and, and my keyboard went down, my mouse went down, so it may be maybe a more in you know ex, extreme problem than just the video card. Although video cards have a tendency when when they get weird, they just it's like they attract every driver on your machine and just tell it to F right off, man. So that may have been it. Hopefully I'm not losing my motherboard because that would suck. Um, yes, I was going to start with something lighthearted before my heart attack from almost losing my computer started. Uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, who has me blocked, by the way, and I'm I'm not sure why, but I, I have... I have a sneaky suspicion that it may have been like in my early days of Bitcoin Twitter, uh, just maybe I, I don't know, maybe I said something I shouldn't have. Andreas, I know you're not listening, but hey, man, I'm sorry, dude. Really respect your stuff. Not all that excited about the Ethereum bent, but I, you know, whatever, you know, I still think you're a pretty solid dude. And one of the reasons why I think he's a solid dude is that uh, he's kind of released a, a, a speaking template agreement. Um, and there's there's a couple things about it. One is, is that it looks to be like, in it. I mean, it's a, con- a contract. If you're going to go speak at a conference or whatever, or you want to have, you know, a, a template so that you can uh, get speakers to come to your conference, uh, he's got a document that it looks like it's a Creative Commons license. Anybody, it looks to me like anybody can use it. It's on Google Docs. I've got a link to it in uh, a tweet that uh, I, you know, I, I curate a Twitter uh, Twitter timeline uh, called Morning Roundup. Uh, you can get to there's a link to that on uh, on in the show notes as always. Uh, so that you can see all the stuff that I was talking about today. Anyway, that link will be up there. But uh, what's interesting is that not only does it cover a whole bunch of standard legal things uh, that you would, you know, have to, you know, make sure make sure of as a speaker, or you want to make sure of as a as an event promoter when you're hiring speakers. It's got all that stuff in there. But there's this one one little thing <laughs> as part, and it's it, it's in the it's in the agreement, and it states as part of adopting its policy, the organization agrees to train event staff on how to enforce the policy, including where and how people can report possible violations of the policy, dealing with reports and confidentiality. The organization further agrees all official event gatherings will be appropriate for professional networking. For example, no strip clubs, no exotic dancing, no pool parties, 
Calvin, I'm talking to you, Betty. And the organization shall require sponsors, vendors, and exhibitors to be dressed appropriately for a professional event, e.g. no booth babes. <laughs> so this apparently is a, is a reaction to the fact that he's been walking around uh, probably, you know, quite a few events over the, over the last years. You know, Andreas has probably seen it all. And some of the pictures that we have seen from, especially from ICO shit coinery conferences is just a whole bunch of chicks in, in bathing suits. And man, as somebody who went to, you know, a few of those early day South by Southwest conferences, I can tell you, yeah, I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't like, you know, you know, if you're a guy, and you're at one of these things and you see a bunch of really beautiful women walking around in bathing suits. I mean, I get it. But then if you back off of it for, for a minute and think about it professionally, the hell are people doing in the middle of a conference hall in a, in a bathing suit? I mean, think about it. Really, it's like, is there any... Is there any purpose to it at all? And, and you know, I, when I tweeted this out earlier this morning, um, I got uh, a couple of people who were saying, well, look, man, you know, it's not like he doesn't promote ICOs. He, they're talking about Andreas and going to, I, you know, and the, these are ICO conferences and that's okay. But, you know, by God, you know, nobody should be able to get a paycheck for doing work. And I get that. I do. I, I really do. I, I get that. But again, if I if I step away from this, what's the purpose? I mean, am I <clears throat> has anybody done any real study as to whether or not I can sell more of X at my booth at an exposition if I got two chicks in bikinis? I I have never seen anything that even remotely results in in that type of thing. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm I, People do it for a reason, you know, they're not, they're not idiots, but anyway, so Andreas is, I think he probably went to one too many of these things where he was just double face palming and just going, you know, dude, what, whatever. And it's, there's another, you know, there's a, it's not a reaction to, but what I'm about to read you is an email that I can't remember who, who got it, but Andreas had, had retweeted it out and yeah, I'm blocked by Andreas, but Hey, private window browsers cut through a, a, a lot of bullshit. Right. So in, in either event, um, he had retweeted this particular thing that I'm about to read. It says, good afternoon, my name is Maria, and I am the manager of Bright Models LTD, located in Beijing, London, and Moscow. Your company is going to attend the Blockchain Week 2019 Hong Kong. To get additional success in such shows where the men quality is dominating, oh God, bad translation, you may need Expo Girls support like beautiful Russian models for the show, business meeting models, Hostesses, interpreters. Find attached the example of our hostesses. God, Jesus, providing a menu. We are ready to provide you with a suitable girl for your requirements and budget. I'm sorry, man. I mean, I yeah, I get it. I know a lot of people like talk about how they're just tired of hearing everybody, you know, bitch and moan about 
oh, well, you're just objectifying X and you're, you're, you know, causing problems for Y doing this. But this beautiful Russian models for the show, business meeting models. Can somebody please tell me what the F a business meeting model is? What do, do I just bring like some chick on my arm and, and tell her to go stand in the corner while she's wearing what? A bathing suit or a business suit? The whole, the, my point is, is that it's kind of absurd. You know, it, it is, it's kind of absurd. You want to go see really beautiful girls in, in bikinis, go to a beach. You know, I mean, I've been, I've been to places where I swear to God, the internal, the, the inside temperature of, of the meeting was like in the sixties, right? Cause they just couldn't heat the building and they got models walking around in bikinis that cannot be comfortable and it doesn't make any sense anyway. I'm done with it, except for the fact that I do want to laugh one more time at business meeting models. Somebody, if anybody knows what the hell a business meeting model is, please, please tweet me at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 and tell me what the hell a business meeting model is because I'd kind of like to know, right? Anyway, so moving on up, Craig Wright is going to sue the world. That's right. He's, he's, he's suing the world. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen it over the last, apparently while I was gone, and I think it really came to a head over the weekend, Craig just started tweeting out a whole bunch of stuff about, uh, that he was basically that, that anybody who copied like any of his words and tweeted it out, or if they screenshotted any of his stuff and tweeted it out, or if they did any of that, that kind of thing where they're using his words or whatever, that it's copyright infringement or intellectual property infringement. And he started tweeting at Jack about that. He was going to make sure that they paid that. I mean, what that Twitter, you know, welcome to a public platform, Craig, you know, I, I, you got it. And the other thing about this is, is that, you know, last year he was all about how he was a cryptographer and how he was a mathematician and how he really understood coding. And now, as far as I can tell this year, he's morphed into a lawyer because now all he really talks about is intellectual property, copyright law, um, intellectual property law, law, this law, that, He's, and he keeps calling himself a lawyer. So apparently he's a lawyer now. I mean, I, I guess you can just fake your way into anything because yeah, I don't, you know, after listening to him talk about for so long, how he was Satoshi and he created Bitcoin and, and he's a coder and he understands, you know, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden now he's a lawyer. No, man, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. And if you got a law degree, you either went to like Lolly's backyard law school and got it, or you didn't do very well. And I'd actually like to see his license to practice law. What bar, you know, what bar passed this lunatic? Could you imagine having Craig Wright in your class? He's got all this, a wheelbarrow full of degrees, right? Could you imagine having him as a student, an undergrad, a master's student? God forbid one of his many PhDs. Could you imagine being on his uh, uh, committees 
as an academic sitting on a committee to figure out whether or not you're going to pass this fraud through your doors. No wonder he has so many degrees because every probably everybody probably just said yes, just to get his ass out of their hair. That's probably why he has so many degrees. Anyway, Dan Darkpill <laughs> uh, took up, took up the mantle for all of us and tweeted out, Craig Wright says he will sue anyone who calls him a fraud. Yeah. This is the other side. Okay. Uh, he's now he, he's always been talking about suing people for calling him a fraud. He's back at it again after this whole Torrance, you know, uh, you know, Tourette's syndrome thing of his about suing people for robbing him of his intellectual property or, or rather his tweets. Anyway, it says Craig Wright says he will sue anyone who calls him a fraud. Is Craig Wright a fraud? Please answer. Craig Wright is a fraud or Craig Wright is not a fraud. He has, this tweet has 1,071 likes, 157 retweets, and 1,200 replies. And I cannot find a single reply that says Craig Wright is not a fraud. So this tweet is also in my curated timeline. Go find it, retweet it, answer it, and like it. Because Dan says that if, if he doesn't get like, uh, you know, 56 million retweets or 56,000 retweets or something like that, that he's going to delete his account. And we don't want to see Dan Darkpill go away again. All right. Next up in the stack is also still about uh, the genius that is Craig Stewart, right? Now he has a new Twitter account um, at DRCS right. Because, yeah, right. He's a doctor. Anyway, so he starts this account a couple of days ago, has 102 followers and 12 t- tweets, and he began this entire uh, account out as protected because when he protected his last account, uh, the at Prof Faustus account, uh, he protected all those tweets a couple of days ago or maybe yesterday, and people are still able to get to his, get to his stuff. Because they fought, you know, he followed them earlier or he hasn't blocked them or something like that. And so now he started a new, new account. And I love what whale, how whale panda basically breaks this down. Fraud scammer puts a lot of time and effort into getting 70,000 followers on Twitter, gets annoyed with bots, tries to use protected tweets, but the bots follow him. So it has no effect. Mr. Fraud is desperate and doesn't understand how this tech works. Then he finds the ultimate solution. And his ultimate solution is having this new, you know, building this new account from scratch and from a protected account status from the get-go. Probably is just never going to get past it. I mean, he might get past 1,000 followers. He might get back up to 70,000, but I doubt it. It'd be a good bet. It'd be a good bet to take. I, I would. I would probably bet that he doesn't see over two thousand five hundred followers by the end of this year. Uh, moving on to the next <clears throat> Bitcoin SV scam artist, Kelvin Air. Oh, okay. If you haven't, if you haven't been around Calvin Air's tweets for the last couple of years, every once in a while he has this really bad habit of tweeting out a picture of himself with what is undoubtedly an underage girl. 
usually drinking alcohol, usually on a boat. The girl is usually, usually has braces and usually is in a swimsuit. And it's quite obvious that that, that girl is not an adult woman. She ain't 18. And even, I don't care if he lives in Aruba, Puerto Rico, freaking whatever. I don't care. He's partying with alcohol on boats with underage girls. I, I, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I think the community got fed up with him because it's like, you know, usually he'll get backlash for it too, because it's not like one, once or twice. This is, this actually happens quite a bit. And over the last couple of years, if you add them all up, you're talking about more than a few fistfuls of tweets with him chilling out with girls that got, you know, smiling and their braces are showing. Okay. Not cool. This time, this time, this time, my, oh my man, this time he, uh, really, uh, really messed up by tweeting. Oh, let's see. What was the, okay. Drinking rum with Cuban dance team in Havana. And if, like I said, if you haven't seen the tweet, I'm about to read a breakermag.com article uh, about this and, and all like all this pool party this thing that that started a couple of days ago is all in this uh in this uh, article by Jessica Klein which was written on the 15th and it was oh apparently this was on uh Tuesday okay so I you know I was already in in the metroplex area by the time this, and I wasn't really watching out what was going on. So this is, you know, yeah, this is a bit old, but man, I mean, this thing is just snowballing. <clears throat> on Tuesday, Calvin Air, founder of CoinGeek, Air Group, and Bodog posted a picture on Twitter of him, quote, drinking rum with Cuban dance team in Havana. He also posted a video of the team twerking. The picture sparked lots of reactions from commenters expressing concern over the age of the dancers. One Twitter user pointed out that such posts appear regularly on Air's feed. And again, he he's, has been doing it a lot. And there's a, bu- there's a bunch of tweets that I'm skipping over in this article because they're basically pictures, you know. And, and this, this partic- one of these particular posters is like going, going back into Air's timeline and saying, no, this isn't the first time he's done this shit. Anyway, it says, indeed, Air has a... Uh, has continued to post similar pictures to Twitter in spite of the backlash he received for the Cuba dancing team photo. Breaker Mag reached out to air for comment and were sent this statement by him from his PR rep. Quote, this is nothing to do with me or adult Cuban dancers doing the dance of their cultural heritage, but people want to knock Bitcoin SV. That's right, guys. It's because of SV. I am just a supporter of the original Bitcoin white paper. I do not own it. I invest in the future of money, and I see Bitcoin SV as the only scalable cryptocurrency out there. I do not believe anything I post is controversial. The only controversy is that anyone should have to be attacked for supporting superior technology that does social good when those attacking are own, are doing it only for some concept of personal gain. Man, boy, that's a, that'll trip you up. Air made similar comments on Twitter. We followed up with Air's PR rep asking whether Air was aware of the dancers' ages and what the nature of his relationship with them was. They declined to comment further. <laughs> Meanwhile, antivirus software pioneer and altcoin shiller John McAfee provided some, quote, unsolicited advice for his fellow crypto enthusiast. 
John McAfee says, John McAfee here, and he's replying, he's replying to a tweet from Calvin. The original tweet says, for those who don't like the cultural experience of watching how ladies love to dance in the Caribbean, please stop watching my personal social media feeds. John McAfee writes back, John McAfee here, as unsolicited advice from the king of badass, this is a dark alley you are wandering down. Unfortunately, by your association with the crypto world, you are dragging us with you down that alley. You are a bright man. Pause for a moment and look at your reality. And they don't have an update of what happened after this, but uh, Calvin decided to rip into John, calling him a murderer. Uh, and if you don't know what I, we're talking, what I'm talking about there, a few years back in Belize, uh, John was a person of interest in the murder of a uh, the owner of the neighboring property to John McAfee's property. John was on the run for quite a while. And then I don't know. I don't know what happened after that. He doesn't, Belize doesn't seem to be interested in, in John McAfee anymore. In either event, as you might imagine, John got pissed and being 76 years old, stoned off his ass pretty much all day long and drunk and carrying a whole arsenal of firearms. John's probably not the guy you want to piss off. In either event, John gave him 12, <clears throat> Calvin 12 hours to correct that lie, or he was going to, quote unquote, sue him into the underworld. Actually, that wasn't a quote. He did say that uh, he would own all of Calvin's property by the time his libel suit was over. So, yeah, Calvin's, I don't know about that dude, man. I mean, well, actually, I do know him. He's a whack job is what he is. And he's hanging out with underage girls. And I'm sorry, but as a uh, as an adult male in, in his 50s, I don't know. He Calvin may be in his 60s. He's at least in his 50s from what I can tell by his pictures in either event. Yeah, that's a John's right. Even for somebody who's 76, uh, does weird drugs and is is a weird MF himself. Um John's right. Yeah, he's traveling down a dark road and he's carrying all the rest of us with him. Although I will say this, he's more carrying the BSV crowd than the, you know, the actual Bitcoin crowd. So this is why I don't really worry about it. I actually find it rather entertaining. And I think the damage that he's doing to the BSV uh, brand is uh, astonishing in its scope. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the biggest deal ever in the international payment sector. And as you might imagine, Francis Coppola is just fawning all over this article by Bloomberg. So let's get into it. This was uh, released this morning at 2.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Uh, FIS's $34 billion bid for WorldPay drives payments, merger, and acquisition spree. This is released or uh, written by Giles Turner or Giles Turner and Keith Campbell. And let's get into it. Fidelity National Information Services Incorporated agreed to acquire WorldPay Incorporated for $34 billion in cash and stock, the biggest deal ever in the international payments sector. The industry is at the heart of a deal-making boom as consumers change the way they pay for goods and legacy providers are challenged by rivals from startups to Apple Pay. Industry-wide revenue is projected to be $2.4 trillion by 2027, according to a report from Boston Consulting Group and SWIFT. 
FIS, which focuses on the software behind payments for retail and banking, will assume WorldPay's debt, bringing the enterprise value of the deal to about $43 billion U.S., the company said Monday. Current shareholders of Jacksonville, Florida-based FIS will own about 53% of the combined company, while WorldPay investors will hold 47%. The transaction essentially expands FIS's capabilities by enhancing its acquiring and payments offering while increasing WP's distribution footprint and accelerating its entry into new geographies. Moshi Khatri, an analyst, an analyst at Webbush, said in a note to clients, WorldPay shareholders will receive 11 bucks a share in cash and 0.9287 of a FIS share, which is worth a combined $112.12 as of last week's close. That was 14% more than Friday's closing price for Sims Township, Ohio-based WorldPay. The stock jumped 8.7% to $107 at 9.53 a.m. in New York after reaching at a high of 112. Fidelity National declined 1.4% to $107.39. Payments payments companies earn fees from charging to services service the billions of dollars of purchases made by consumers and businesses, and many have been turning to deals to grab market share. The rise of contractless payments and the need to update back-end infrastructure also have spurred mergers. Both FIS and WorldPay provide the technological infrastructure that lets consumers securely pay an overseas vendor on an e-commerce site or tap their cards to buy a cup of coffee. The largest payments firms, such as WorldPay, Chase Payment Tech, and First Data, each handle about $1 trillion annually. Fast-growing Dutch rival Aiden NV is expanding by offering to handle transfers in more currencies and payment types than its competitors. Today's deal, when complete, will make the combined company the biggest in the processing and payments industry, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. It will surpass... This Fiserv Inc., which agreed in January to pay $22 billion to buy First Data Corp. Initial public offerings have been climbing too. Italy's Nexi Spa <clears throat> said Monday that it plans an IPO in Milan by the end of April, aiming to raise as much as 2.7 billion euros, according to people familiar with the plan. Aiden which was one of the best performing IPOs globally in 2018. Network International, a Middle Eastern payments processor on March 14th, announced its plan for a London IPO in the next four weeks. WorldPay CEO Charles Drucker will become the combined firm's executive vice chairman. His company was itself created by a merger. Vantive Inc. bought the former WorldPay Group PLC for more than $10 billion in 2017 to gain greater exposure to e-commerce retailers and small businesses with a combined company taking the British firm's name. WorldPay Group was once part of Royal Bank of Scotland Group PLC, while Vantive's roots are in Fifth Third Bank Corps. And it just goes on uh, at that point to talk about a few more mergers. Um, that's a lot of merger. That's a lot of merger in international payment. <laughs> Ooh, good Lord, excuse me. Um, and as you might imagine, this is why Francis Coppola is jumping up and down because she thinks that like every news story that comes out, 
She believes this is finally the knife in the heart of, of Bitcoin. And no, <laughs> no, no, it's not, Francis. Uh, this is exactly what's what Bitcoin is designed to solve. And two things here. You're not making an international payment to anybody these people don't want you to make an international payment to. Uh, you can do that with Bitcoin. Second, this is even more centralization of a whole bunch of people that are going to censor payments. They're going to censor payments like Facebook is going to censor accounts, like Twitter is going to censor accounts. It, there, there's nothing new here. And uh, Yeah, I read all that, and there's nothing new here. Not a damn thing. And it's sad to watch her fumble this bullshit because it's so easy. It's so easy. Once you finally figure it out, it becomes so easy to understand how this stuff works. And I'm not talking about the payments. I'm not talking about how Bitcoin works. I'm talking about the changing mental model of the population of the world getting pretty much tired of getting told no. We're getting tired of being told no. And it's coming to a head. All this is going to do is continue to centralize what is already centralized. The power is going to become more extreme. The ability for these people to shut off whole countries, whole businesses, from doing commerce with whole other countries and whole other businesses is going to permeate the system. It's going to start happening and it's just going to make people turn to Bitcoin even faster. It's, it's an accelerant. It's like throwing gas on a fire. <clears throat> so there's all that. It's like I said, all of this stuff is in my curated Twitter timeline. So if you want to read it, um, you can, you can find it all there. Um, one thing I do want to say uh, about this is that's that Bloomberg article. And it's saying all this, and Francis is jumping up and down, yet if you pause and look over to the right side, or in my browser, it's on the right side, there's a sidebar of other headlines. And they read, Deutsche Bank is in talks with Commerce Bank after turnaround efforts failed. Another one, France's message for capitalism is quite simple adapt or die, which obviously means become socialist or go away, and that's not going to happen. Further, Facebook's vulnerabilities highlighted during a terrible week. So all were, oh, and and Boeing has too much sway in vetting owned jets, FAA was told. You know, centralization, 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 and all these people are having problems. And they're having internal problems. They're recognizing their own problems. They don't have time for the fact that we're out there pointing at them going, holy shit, I don't want to be anywhere close to that shit show. And we don't. So Francis, I'm sorry, but again, this is this is not the knife you were looking for. On up, uh, Bitmain Tech is losing its dominance to Canaan IO. Bitcoin Magazine article dated March 13th. 2019, 
Valued at $1 billion, Canaan Creative is encroaching on Bitmain's dominance. <clears throat> a, oh, this is uh, by Colin Harper. Uh, we've, I've read a couple of uh, his stories before. ASIC chip manufacturers, Canaan Creative is closing the gap between itself and industry leader Bitmain after a massive infusion of capital. In its latest funding round, the Chinese mining company has raised several hundred millions of dollars, Chinese Publication Securities Times reports. Dubbing Canaan Creative as the second largest mining firm in the world, the publication notes that the funding has raised the company's overall valuation to $1 billion. The influx of capital comes after an explosive period of growth for the industry's second largest mining manufacturer. According to Securities Times, the company sold 9,727 units in 2015, a number that would grow 30-fold to 295,000 mining units in 2017. In 2015, it generated sales of 7.1 million and 2.25 million in net profit. By 2017, its sales would rake in 193 million in revenue and produce 53.8 million dollars in net profit. These numbers would surface from a Canaan Creative IPO perspective that failed to substantiate <clears throat> into an actual sale after the application expired showed that the company's position is encroaching on Bitmain's territory. As detailed by financial disclosures, Bitmain made to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange in preparation for its own IPO, the company took in $82 million in profit in 2017. However, Coindesk reports that an updated IPO prospectus, the firm posted roughly $500 million in losses for Q3 of 2018, endangering its prospects for a successful public offering. The bear market is mainly to blame for Bitmain's struggles, <clears throat> along with the fact that the company funneled much of its capital and crypto holdings into Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> As revealed in the company's original IPO prospectus, the company began accumulating Bitcoin Cash from the Fort Coin's inception in 2017 through 2018, increasing its holdings to over 1 million BCH during a two-year period. Okay, the bear market is not mainly to blame for Bitmain's struggles. Bitmain screwed up big time and they're going to pay for it out the nose. Canaan is going to come in and they're going to walk all up and down Jihan Wu's ass. And that's if Jihan Wu even stays around because there's rumors that he's starting his own company that's going to be BCH specific. I, I don't know. The whole thing seems like a mess, but the bear market is not to blame because they, they saw that everything was rising in 2017 and like idiots that mortgaged their house and put a, you know, like a more, you know, somehow or another took loans out against their vehicles, sold their children into slavery so that they could FOMO in. Bitmain did the exact same shit with BCH and BCH lost way more value than Bitcoin did. If they had just stayed with Bitcoin, they'd probably still be able to say one of these days that they were solvent. But that's not going to be the case. I think they're done. Pretty sure they're done. Hope they're done because I'm tired of listening to their pesky ass shit. Um, Beautyon has a tweet. The horrible story relates to Bitcoin companies in many ways. The loss of files. The fall of a once powerful social network. 
All of it superimposes Bitcoin companies one to one. Quote, Coinbase is the MySpace. That's what you need to remember. That and the Twitter of Bitcoin is coming. So what the hell's Beauty on talking about? <clears throat> well, he's talking about this news, this story. This particular one is from Sky News. It was just one of the ones that I found. And that was uh, for this morning uh, at 11.13. I, I'm, I don't know if that's my time or, well, clearly it's not my time. So I guess it's, I don't know, it's out of the UK. So we'll say that it's 11.13 over there. This is the news. <clears throat> this is the news that MySpace still exists, although not all of the 50 million songs that were uploaded there do anymore. What are they talking about? MySpace confirms losing every song uploaded between 2003 and 2015. They lost 12 years of uploads, people. 12 years of of upload. Remember how Francis is just thinking that the knife is twisting in Bitcoin's heart because of this huge company buying another huge company and it's going to be the death of us all. No, it's not because it's going to be MySpace. Okay, so MySpace has confirmed losing all of the 50 million plus songs which have been uploaded to it between 2003-2015. Photographs and videos have also been affected by what the company describes as the result of a server migration project. Yeah. <laughs> More than 14 million artists' music has been lost. Despite fostering the careers of bands including Arctic Monkeys, MySpace has failed to compete with Facebook after peaking in popularity around 2006. At that peak, MySpace was the most visited website in the U.S. ahead of even Google. But its user base has been steady in decline ever since. <laughs> in a statement, the company said, As a result of a server migration project, any photos, videos, and audio files you uploaded more than three years ago may no longer be available on or from MySpace, quote, we apologize for the inconvenience and suggest that you retain your backup copies, the company added, promoting much criticism on other notably more popular social media platforms. <laughs> One user on Reddit noted, quote, this should serve as a warning for anyone who thinks that anything they have on a cloud service is safe. It isn't. Quote, why would anyone trust a free online social media platform to provide reliable backups? Totally your fault if you lost anything. Another unsympathetic user commented, and I don't care if the guy's unsympathetic or not. He's right, or she, or whoever it is. <clears throat> like this show. I keep a copy of every WAV file I produce from, from this show. Now, I do have it on one hard drive, and what will happen eventually if I don't get if I don't get my RAID set up back, uh, that hard drive is going to fail, and that's going to be my fault. I'm I don't get to blame anybody, but at least I have a backup, right? I mean, all this stuff is pushed out to SoundCloud, but yet I keep every single cover art that I produce and I keep every single wave file that I produce. So at least if SoundCloud for whatever reason bans me or goes away or, or something like this happens and it's like <laughs> every song, you know, public, you know, for the entire year is just gone. Hell, I can go back. I can go reupload. It would be a pain in the ass, 
But sure, I could go re-upload the I could go re-upload the entire podcast history because I've got it all the way back to the very first one. Always back up, always back up, always back up. And you know that said, I gotta go. I gotta go to Walmart or something and buy a you know buy an SSD drive so that I can back up the stuff that I got on my computer. And then I got to get another one so I can back that one up. But you know. I, I can't remember what the gentleman's name. He was a, he's a photographer that works only in digital now. Very pretty famous. Um, and he always said, only back up the work you are willing to lose. Um, or, or rather don't back only don't back up the work you are willing to lose because he's like, if, if you're comfortable losing a week's worth of work, then by all means back up once a week. If you're comfortable losing a day's worth of work, then by all means only back up a day comfortable for only backing up once a year, then you're comfortable with losing a year's worth of work. Keep that in mind because this is what happens. I hope those people did have backups, but I got to tell you, man, 80% of those people that lost their songs, you know, (laughs) I, I, well, I don't know. Musicians are, are a little bit different. You know, they, they should have copies. Um, but wow, 12 years gone. God, 12 years gone. Could you imagine Anyway, okay, okay. So, uh, last thing about that is, oh, oh, it's a reaction from one of my one of my uh, pleb scrub taco eating bros. This is from Crypto Pamp at C R Y P T O P A H M P. And if you're not following them, you're missing out on some lulls, man. Because if you're not following him, you don't get stuff like this when he reacts to my posting of this MySpace story. He says, actual headline, Justin Timberlake rips off 50 million songs from unsigned musicians and destroys the evidence. You never know. You just never know. That is going to do it for your morning roundup. Your vital statistics brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. Let's just start it out. Bitcoin is at an average of 3,983 with a high over at, uh, it's going to be a right BTC at 3,979. And a low is going to be over at Simex at 3,945. 269,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours. And the uh, 1.2 million BTC has been sent over the last 24 hours in those transactions. That gives us an average transaction value of 4.78 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.064 BTC or around 250 bucks USD. Block time's a bit low, 9 minutes and 44 seconds. It looks like the average <clears throat> fees per block are going to be 0.138 BTC, and the reward totaling in the last 24 hours is 20 BTC. We have lost 10.7% in hash rate over the last 24 hours to bring us down to 43.83 exahashes per second. The last commit to the Bitcoin core code base 
is going to be today on the 18th of March. Across the board, Ethereum is sitting at 137, Litecoin is at 59, Bcash is at 159, BSV is at 66, Ethereum Classic is at 4.37, Dogecoin 0.002. And as per usual, at 31,552 transactions over the last 24 hours, it freaking clearly smokes the bullshit coins of Bcash and BSV. BSV's got 4,000. Bcash is like 11,600. Oh, just why, God, why? This is going to be Marty Spent for Friday, March 15th. 2019, issue number 441. It's time chain, not blockchain. Yeah, uh, for God's sakes. Okay, so uh, let's start out with this little snippet of uh, <clears throat> of verbiage that Marty has given us. And it looks like a quote from, from Satoshi back in the day. It says, nodes collect new transactions into a block, hash them into a hash tree, and scan through nonce values to make the block's hash satisfy proof-of-work requirements. When they solve the proof-of-work, they broadcast the block to everyone, and the block is added to the time chain. The first transaction in the block is a special one that creates a new coin owned by the creator of the block. Blocks are appended to block 0001.dat files on disk. Their location on disk is indexed by CB lock index objects in memory. Okay, <clears throat> time chain. Uh, blocks are added to the time chain. So what the hell are we talking about? Marty says, when you're looking at... What you're looking at is a section of notes and a copy of the pre-release source code of Bitcoin that Satoshi shared with a few reviewers before mining the Genesis block in January of 2009. This copy of the code Satoshi has reviewed by some cipher folks before officially launching had was shared on Bitcoin.talk in 2013 and resurfaced by Francis Pouliot earlier this week on Twitter. As you can see from his notes in the code, Satoshi thought of Bitcoin as a time chain and not a blockchain. A misnomer applies to Bitcoin by us lowly plebs after it had been released. A very interesting thing to note, especially considering the popularization, commoditization, and bastardization of the word blockchain over the course of the last de decade. <clears throat> How ironic is it? that the one word that every marketer, snake oil salesman, and out-of-touch politician or corporate board member alike has taken and run with, spending an untold amount of millions to craft a narrative around, is a complete and utter sham that doesn't aptly describe what its creator intended. Truly poetic. Everyone and their mother is in a race to craft a blockchain strategy, sprinting blind into a foreign arena, attempting to justify the exploration of, and more importantly, budget for, a word that has been misapplied since it entered our lexicon. You freaks understand what I mean when I say I believe our society is becoming more detached from reality than ever. The evidence is everywhere. Uh, 
With all of that disconnection from the reality stuff aside, you freaks should go peep Francis Thread as he does an incredible job surfacing some of the best gems from the pre-release version of the source code, including the fact that Satoshi envisioned everyone calling sats since, which I did not know until a couple of hours ago. <clears throat> as we are, as we are, we as disconnected from reality as the blockchainers of the world are for pushing sats instead of cents, maybe. But to be quite honest, cents would have been confusing AF when in the wild, especially considering the public conscious has been conditioned for a century to associate one cent as the denomination of the U.S. dollar. Would have been terrible for adoption and use in the wild. Lastly, and probably more importantly to note, the existence of this pre-release code and the fact that we know a good amount of people had access to it, reviewed it, and provided feedback may mean that there was more initial participants mining Bitcoin in the early days than we previously thought, making Bitcoin more distributed than is widely believed. Bitcoin's history, a fascinating story with many nuggets still to be unearthed. Final thought. The art of the handwritten letter is an art. I recommend one should master and practice. Goes a long way. Enjoy your weekend, freaks. Okay. So, yeah, Satoshi was calling it time chain, not blockchain. That's going to come back to us here in a few minutes. Well, that was Marty's Bent. You can follow Marty Bent at Marty Bent. Don't forget to follow his podcast, TFTC21, as well as Cryptoconomy, which has nothing to do with Marty Bent, but I just wanted to plug my friend Guy Swan because one of the dudes that inspired me to do this particular podcast as well as, as Marty Bent. Um, anyway, with that said, uh, that's going to do it for Marty's Bent for this day. Okay, so remember what I was saying about how time chain was going to kind of come back to, to haunt us a little bit uh, in, the, in the show. What I was referring to was the fact that Craig Stewart Wright or Sean or whatever his middle name, whatever, Doc Prof, Prof Faustus, and that the idiot that is fake Toshi, um, Francis, when, when he had you know, kind of unearthed this gem, a fascinating thing happened with Craig Wright. Amazingly, all of a sudden, after that timestamp of Francis unearthing this thing, all timestamps of tweets given out by um, Craig Wright started to include time chain instead of blockchain. Taking time out of his Twitter writing to make sure that he puts in time chain. Guys, he had been calling it blockchain since the first. Yeah, like from all the way back in 2010. And and I'm not, I didn't do the research myself. And I don't have the tweet up in front of me. It was, um, hold on. Uh, I, I need to to give proper attribution to this. Hold on. Okay, I, I found it. So so bear with me. Th this goes back to the Dan Darkpill tweet when he's asking people whether or not, you know, so that they can write it out, whether or not, um, so, uh, uh, Craig Wright is a fraud or if Craig Wright is not a fraud and he wants you to write it out. So that was at the front of the show. Okay. Buried into that thing is this little nugget from bitnovosti.com at B I T underscore N O V O S T I. 
he's replying, says, Fake Toshi suddenly remembering to call blockchain time chain after all these years and right after Francis Pulliot unearthed the issue was surely a gag of the month. I, I like I woke up to this. Right, this was the, this was like one of the first things that I saw this morning. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? And so I, I asked, I said, wait, what is the prof doing this now? Please do tell Satoshi Jimenez at J O E L O R E G A L A T T O writes back and says he is worst part is he is trying to casually make people that he has been doing it since a long time ago. And he's got, he's referring to a tweet that, that is from Dean at demon trader underscore. Um, Craig has been on Twitter since 2010 and started using time chain only after Francis tweet. And sure enough, it's, it's demon trader that went back, started, you know, or it, as far as I know, this is where I'm getting, getting the information. Demon trader is, a uh, has got, uh, pictures of like way back in the day, and he cannot find any instance where Craig Wright used the term time chain before the timestamp of Francis unearthing the, or time chain after Francis unearthing uh, the use of the term time chain in, in the early, 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 early writings of Satoshi. And now all of a sudden, you know, the good professor has, uh, is he's replying to people like Derek Moore who asks, I was noticing the word time chain and some early stuff resurfaced recently. Craig Wright writes back and says, it is what it always was. In another instance, Craig says, Bitcoin brings law. That is what a blockchain parentheses, really time chain end parentheses delivers. It destroys anarchy. It logs everything immutable. Welcome to my future. BTC is not Bitcoin. God. Woo. Mm. He writes another one. Then you can research enough to know what company I founded. It has more patents than China and the U.S. combined in blockchain. Parentheses should be time chain in parentheses as a field. And then there's a picture of his... I, and I'm, I can only assume this is why he, he went... He took his uh, channel par, uh, private um, or... What whatever they call it, um, is that we can see in this picture that he joined in September of 2010. And let's see, uh, Kano writes him uh, at, in this other tweet, says, never heard you use that term time chain before. Why start calling it that now that we have the term resurfacing? And Craig Wright says, actually, I have used it many times. And that is not resurfacing. It is old news. And just the This is what a scammer looks like, people. Generally speaking, a good scammer is a sociopath because that way they can completely avoid any feelings of guilt, ethical conundrums, morality stuff. They just don't care. That's why they're so good at scamming people because most people look for other people and see it in their eyes or, or hear it in the tonalities of their voice to, to figure out whether or not someone's going undergoing a moral dilemma before they execute some plan X. Craig has no such programming in his, in his mind. He's a scammer. 
He's always probably been a scammer. He's pro most of his degrees are probably scam degrees. And even if they're from, you know, reputable universities, he probably bone, you know, like was doing some, you know, such bonehead maneuvers that, like I said earlier, he probably just got handed a degree just to get at like basically a payoff. If you will shut up and leave me alone, I will sign off on your PhD. Don't think that that shit doesn't happen. It does. I, I was in academia for a long, long time. I've talked to many people from deans to provosts to presidents. I mean, every, like full professors, associate professors, just jacked out of the box, brand new professors, committee members, thesis, guidance people, you name it, man. I've been there. This shit happens. If you want to know why this guy's walking around with a wheelbarrow full of degrees, it is probably because he has literally no morals, no ethical stance, doesn't care, doesn't care, doesn't care. And he will literally make you hate him to the point that you will give him what he wants if he will just go away. The guy's a fraud. If you're listening to him, you're going to lose all of your money. Sorry, that's the way it is. Uh, let's go ahead and get into Torchlight before I blow a gasket. Because people like that... Um, blow gaskets for me. All right. So torchlight, torchlight, um, a little bit of lightning network news is going to, uh, precede that. Uh, it's important. I, I like keeping these things together. Bitcoin's lightning network has more active nodes than Litecoin, Monero, XRP, and EOS. And he's, uh, this guy is, this is actually not guy. I'm sorry. This is a block manatee.com article and the tweet is from block manatee. So let's dive into this for just a second. It says, and this is posted March 18th, 2019. The lightning network has been gaining significant traction in the past year. Even though the technology is still in its beta phase, it hasn't stopped Bitcoin enthusiasts from running nodes and transacting with it. Even though the main net launched a year ago, the network already has more active nodes than prominent cryptocurrencies like Litecoin, Monero, EOS, XRP, Bitcoin Cash, I'm sorry, Bcash, Tron, and many more. According to i1ml.com, Bitcoin's Lightning Network currently has 4,000 nodes that have active channels and over 1,060 BTC, around $4.25 million USD in network capacity. Crypto research firm Longhash released an article comparing the number of active nodes in the Lightning Network to the other major cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, Litecoin, Monero, blah, blah, blah. According to the data, Lightning Network has the third highest number of active nodes only after Bitcoin and Ethereum. God bless America, man. That's a... Wow, that's that's huge. Okay, so anyway, um, the number of nodes is an important metric in proof-of-work blockchains like Bitcoin and Litecoin as it signifies the level of decentralization in the network. It can. It doesn't necessarily. Anyway, but this may not necessarily be true for blockchains with other consensus mechanisms like EOS and Tron. Findings from the block indicate that a few nodes handle significant amounts of Lightning Network's capacity. Even though we are still in the early days of Layer 2 solutions, it is still very exciting as these technologies could shape the future of global value exchange. And you're damn skippy it will. You were damn skippy it will. Anyway, so yeah, 
Lightning Network just in just smoking along, man. Trucking down those tracks. Okay, so where's the lightning torch? Uh, we have Simon McCabe, and he is, uh, let's see, at Simon McCabe, M-C-C-A-B-E on Twitter. He has the torch, or at least he did, as of 21 hours ago. He says, deeply grateful to receive the lightning trust chain torch from dear friend Xavier Turledetto, Proud to be involved in BTC Vin's efforts to establish a mesh network in Venezuela. Oh, yes. Let's blitz scale this baby. Get your invoices ready. And people are sending him. Uh, his This tweet has a whole bunch of replies with, as you would imagine, lightning network invoices. So there we are. There's where the uh, there's where torch light ends for the day. daily train wreck of which there are many because I was gathering up stuff through the week. Um, I'm only going to, to talk about two of them today. Um, let's see what's going to be the first one, which, which one, uh, let's see the, the first let's Okay. Uh, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, just, let's just do one. All right. Let's, let's do the Francis Coppola one and no, this is a different Francis Coppola one than the one we were talking about earlier. <clears throat> uh, she is uh, retweeting uh, Professor Steve Hankey, says, since, who says, since the blackout began in Venezuela, the use of Bitcoin has dropped 40%, heightening the country's money problems. A lot of inflation, but no money. Socialism has returned Venezuela to the days of barter. Francis retweets that with the uh, uh, with the sentence added to it that says, "This is the problem with using Bitcoin. It needs electricity." Well, Francis, I don't know of a payment rail on the face of the planet that doesn't take electricity. Yeah. We could talk about passing somebody a $5 bill. But in a blackout that extensive, you got bigger problems to worry about. You you got bigger, you got bigger fish to fry. Um the I you know, this that that blackout was huge. And I don't know, you know, I, I think some of it's fixed. I don't know if all of it's fixed, but Here's here's a couple of things. <clears throat> you're you're not going to be able to use Visa in the same situation. You're not going to go to your bank in the same situation. You're not going to be able to go to Western Union and get a remittance from family members from another country. And you're not going to be doing that shit anyway because you're going to be looking for food because you're already freaking starving in Venezuela. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is, people. So... <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin needing electricity. Of course it needs electricity. And like I said, so does Visa. So does all banks. So does any payment rail on the face of the planet. The only thing that doesn't take electricity is cash and open dime. Well, open dime does take a little bit of electricity, but it's, you're talking about microamps that can be provided 
buy a battery. I've talked about this before. I think it was either last week or the week before somebody, yeah, it was a week before the week or even the week before that somebody has built a scanner that specifically reads open dimes. I got four open dimes in my pocket. I got one with a buck on it, one with five bucks on it, one with 10 bucks on it, one with 20 bucks on it. Somebody says, I'm going to charge you $21 for this thing or $22 for this thing. And I say, look, I got an open dime that's got a $20, $20 worth of USD. And I got one with $1 worth of USD. Can I barter or can we, can I, can I get you down to 21? The guy says, as long as I'm sure that I got $21 out of you. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Pulls out the scanner. You put in one open dime. It says, Hey, look, it's $20. You put in the other one and it says, hey, look, there's $1. You hand both sticks to the dude. He takes his battery powered, like, you know, nine volt battery powered handheld palm sized unit, puts it back into his back pocket, takes the open dime sticks, shove them into his front pocket and gives you the goods. Meanwhile, the entire country's in black. How can I be sure that there's that much that the open dime sticks have that Bitcoin? Because the private keys haven't been exposed. And if they were exposed, you would know the second that you looked at the stick because a transistor would be popped out. And if you didn't notice it then, the minute you shoved it into the scanner and it gave enough power to power up the circuit board in the open dime to read it, the LED that indicated that the private keys had been compromised would light up and you as a vendor would say, I'm not taking that key. Meanwhile, all the lights in Venezuela are out. How can this, what, what sorcery is this? It's called fucking technology, Francis. For God's sakes, go get a life. All right, uh, that's going to do it for your daily train wreck. <music> Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Bad Joke Cat. Why Bad Joke Cat? Why not? Bad Joke Cat's got a bunch of really bad jokes. They're all really good bad jokes. <clears throat> so today's is, uh, let's see. Oh, yes, yes. I don't buy fat-free milk because I don't want to encourage cows with negative body image issues. Fat-free milk. Yeah, yeah, okay, it's bad, it's bad. All right, guys, I'm out. Uh, You have a wonderful week. Uh, Watch out for the weirdness out there. Uh, Craig Craig Wright may have just gone ahead and locked himself into a vault. We can only hope that we should be so lucky as to have this guy just sort of disappear himself into the into the void so we don't have to deal with him. Because between him and Roger, I would much rather deal with Roger. Shit, at least he's one of our own that went bad. Craig is a complete outsider that frauded his way in, so whatever. Anyway, uh, like, like I said, all of my stuff is, that I talked about today 
is going to be in the morning roundup curated Twitter timeline. I have a link to that timeline in the show notes of today. So you can see all the, all the stuff that I talked about and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.